Welcome, happy warriors, and thank you for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Thanks for being part of the show, and thanks for all you do to help promote the show. And um, let's see, well, uh, here we are early in the month of September, and um, the world has just received the news that Queen Elizabeth II has died at the age of 96, uh, the longest reigning British monarch in all of history. Uh, she got to know and worked with uh, about 13 prime ministers and about the same number of U.S. presidents, I think. And um, she really has lived a long and uh, fulfilled life, and she played an important role. What sort of important role? Well, here's what it is. I've noticed that in the couple of days since the passing of the British monarch, obviously uh, every news outlet and, and every commentator and every pundit um, has tried try to come up with something new to say about the 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 lady, uh, a, a lady of dignity, a lady who saw the ups and downs of. She really, I mean, she 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 saw. She lived through um, as a young girl. She lived through World War Two. She saw her father, King George the uh, Sixth, working with Winston Churchill. She became. Uh, queen at the untimely passing of King George VI in his 50s, I think. He was a young man. And um, and uh, then um, she, the very first prime minister she worked with was Winston Churchill. So the relationship between the British monarch and the prime minister is actually a very close one. And although technically uh, the, the king or queen of England doesn't wield um, constitutional power per se, they nonetheless are very influential and, uh, and uh, you know, people, people have a way of acceding to, to power even when it hasn't been explicitly stated. And um, uh, I, I mention that in, in the context of um, a, uh, a play uh, about the um, uh, killing, the, the murder of a bishop, murder in the cathedral. And, um, and although uh, the instruction for murdering the bishop was never actually given, uh, he did say, who will rid me of this vexatious priest? And uh, because he was powerful, he knew that there would be people who uh, would act on that and rid him of the archbishop. Um, even though he would be able to claim afterwards, what are you talking about? I, I didn't give any such order, and sure enough, he didn't. And uh, I mentioned that a lot of the skullduggery during the Clinton administration, at the time when Bill Clinton was president from 1992 to, uh, 1992 to 2000, um, that period, that skullduggery, again, uh, it would be almost impossible to find... Um, on the record where uh, the president actually instructed anybody to do any of these untoward things. But uh, around power, there is always a circle of people ready to um, divine the intent of the powerful individual and to fulfill his, his desires and thereby 
increase their closeness to power and ultimately their own power through doing that. And so uh, uh, in, in that sense, uh, the, the Queen actually did wield considerable influence. And um, as everybody has been sort of grappling to find new things to say about the Queen, and nothing I've said so far is anything no one else has said or, or you haven't already heard or knew for yourself, um, so I thought that without um, delving too deeply, I would like to take another angle at, uh, at the role played by Queen Elizabeth II. Um, I'm sad about her passing uh, because I think she, she, for reasons I'll show you, I think she wielded uh, a very positive influence on the world. Um, I'm also sad because the, uh, the individual who became king at the instant she passed away was Prince Charles, who is now going to rule as King Charles III. Um, by all indications, uh, in, in his conduct and in the way he's handled his life and his uh, official life and the, way, and the statements he's made, uh, he comes across as uh, not a particularly smart man, certainly not a wise man in any way whatsoever, uh, whereas his mom was. But um, so I think that's unfortunate and uh, and and not going to be a good thing. But um, let me see if I can share something that's a little bit different uh, with respect to her role. And in order to do that, I uh, always have to bring it back to the practical. For you, happy warriors, you are my prime concern. Uh, your welfare, your your finances, your families your faith, your friendships, and your physical fitness. These are, are things I care about. And I always want to make sure that any time that I am going to be asking you to invest your most valuable commodity, namely your time, to listen uh, to what I'm going to be discussing with you, I want to make absolutely sure that I'm not giving you something just of historical interest or cultural interest, but no. Uh, we are talking about something that can actually be usefully employed as you try to advance your own interests in your five F's. And um, we've spoken about the, the fact that inflation is a reality. Um, the, the government officially concedes a rate of inflation of somewhere around about 8 or 9%. Um, I don't have any doubt whatsoever in my mind that the actual rate of inflation is about double that. There are many easy ways uh, for inflation, the official figures, to be concealed and for the consumer price index to be tampered with so as that the administration is able to um, plausibly claim oh, the inflation rate is 8 or 9%, and soon you will see, as we come closer to America's uh, November 2022 20, elections, um, there are going to be announcements to the fact that inflation has come down. I don't think it is coming down. I don't think it will be coming down in the near future. I think it's a reality. And I also do believe that the actual real rate of inflation uh, the rate at which any money you have in your bank account is being eroded uh, is more like double the official uh, rate. It's probably 13 to 15, maybe 17%. It's, it's somewhere up there. 
difficult to be precise. I, I need to depend on uh, others who, who, who can perform these calculations uh, more adeptly and more accurately than I can. And, um, uh, and I've come to the conclusion, looking at all of that, that our real rate is, is up there at about 15%. At any rate, it's more than 12% for sure. And that means that 1% of your money is vanishing every month just by being in the account. So all the time that we were told and we believed that saving money is important and good, right now it turns out the other way. The more money you owe, the better it is. If you owe um, um, student loans, you know, you took out a lot of money and you lived high on the hog while pretending to uh, proceed with an academic degree in gender studies or, or some equally absurd and useful, useless field. Um, and so now uh, the government's taking that off your hands. Well, the government's not a magician. It can't wave a magic wand. Uh, the government cannot do anything but move money around. It can print money, which is the same way, uh, it's, it's the same thing as taking money away from hard-working citizens. So uh, the more money you owe right now, the better it is, because the, in the same way that the amount you possess is vanishing at the rate of about 1% a month if you live in the United States of America, um, the amount you owe vanishes at the rate of about 1% a month as well. And uh, what is more than that, the, the value of money going down like that means that uh, even if you are not going to walk away from your loans, like um, many, many students are doing with the help of the Biden administration, but when you do pay back loans, uh, you pay back with cheaper money than you got when you borrowed them. So it's altogether a very unstable and unhealthy situation. Not a good thing at all. But um, uh, but still, you know, you don't want to go into debt, certainly not unnecessarily. So so there you are, you have a few dollars and you have it in the bank account. What on earth are you to do with it? You really need to do some serious thinking about that. I'm not going to give you any specific advice on that because I'm not your financial planner. You are your financial planner. Uh, you know your own situation. You know your timeline. Um, the, whatever age you are is relevant to that conversation and advice that would be good for somebody who is 35 is very different from the advice that would be good for someone who is, shall we say, 65. So uh, it's, all, it's all your responsibility. Nobody in the whole world cares more about your money than you do. Um, and so, yeah, be aware of that. And you need to be thinking of what you can do so as to make sure that uh, your money is being protected as best as it possibly can. What does that mean? Well, one of the questions that a number of people have been asking me is, uh, since it looks as if China is on the ascent, China is on the way up in the world, whereas uh, the United States seems to be on the way down. Um, wokeness in the American military, that's a huge problem. Nothing like that is happening in China. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the damage that is being done to the economy um, by pretending 
that everything can magically be turned electrical at no cost whatsoever. Uh, yeah, rolling blackouts in California. In California, uh, as um, I mentioned years ago, Los Angeles is in many ways the capital of the third world. California has become a, a, an undeveloped country, if you like. Rolling blackouts, really? Not happening in China. And in China, yeah, in China, between China and India, uh, they're building a new coal-powered power station uh, every week. Between India and China, a new coal-fired power station going up every week. So, uh, so why would anybody be so foolish as to think that there is value in turning off America's coal-fired coal uh, and natural gas-fired stations. Why would anybody think it's a good idea to shut down nuclear power stations? But these are things that are being done in the United States of America. They're not being done in, um, in China. So, um, so I uh, hear people asking me all the time, so are you saying that we should invest in China? And um, the the answer to that is that I think you should think about it. You should be very aware. There are certain complications associated with that. It's not so simple at all. But um, one of the things that we should certainly be aware of is that um, the idea of moving some of your money into an arena where it will be part of an upward-moving trend instead of a downward-moving trend, well, there'd be great value in doing that. Um, how, how do you do that? Um, it's, it's not easy. Do you buy Chinese yuan? That's the currency there. Uh, do you buy that currency? Well, again, you've really got to know what you're doing and uh, and you've got to study it and, and be very, very careful. But one of the things we know is that holding money in dollars is definitely costing you about 1% a month. Now, uh, there is such a thing as uh, inflation-linked bonds in the United States where you can get a return that is pegged to the inflation rate. Okay, It's not the, the real inflation rate. It's pegged to the... Uh, the um, official inflation rate, and so that is um, uh, that is um, obviously not as high, but it's better than nothing. If you have your, if you you know, if you're getting three quarters of a percent interest on your savings, that's not a, uh, I mean, that's not even coming close to what your savings are losing every day. So, so you've really got to think about um, what to do. You don't necessarily have to invest in, in China. One of the things you could do is buy stocks in companies in the United States that do um, a lot of business in China, where a great deal of the revenue of the enterprise is derived from Chinese operations. Not without risk, of course, but um, I thought, let me try and give you a, an overall set of principles here by means of which you yourself will be able to make a wise and informed decision as to whether China should be part of your uh, investment strategy. Let me explain. Look, 
There are two different ways of running a successful economy, which involves at the same time maintaining a successful currency. When an economy declines, its currency also declines, right? Clearly, if you think about it, if an economy goes down, it means that economy, that society, has fewer things that other people want, and so they are not going to want your currency very much because your economy is going down, and they'd rather get currency and hold currency of countries that are, are going up. There's a lot of momentum or inertia uh, to the U.S. dollar and to the U.S. economy. Uh, it, 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 it takes some beating down. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't vanish overnight. But um, two things are needed for the successful maintenance of an economy and, a, and of a currency. Number one, a largely free market. And number two, a set of important values, a moral vision, if you like, which is more or less uniformly shared in common by the members of that society and the participants in that economy. Uh, let, me, let me be specific. Free market, uh, a free market that depends on the magic of human interaction. Now, uh, let me explain. A, a, a monopoly where a group of, shall we say, manufacturers get together uh, to set prices among themselves in collusion with one another, that's not a free market. Likewise, when workers get together and collude with one another, that's also not a free market. It just so happens that we live in a government under a government in a society in America where the government puts its finger on the scales on the side of labor and against the side of capital. So it is illegal to collude with other manufacturers and set a price, but it is not illegal to collude with other workers and establish a bargaining union whereby you are able to extract uh, very problematic penalties from a, uh, an employer who doesn't toe the line. So neither of those things are free markets. Both of those things uh, interfere. How do unions interfere? And I'm not, I'm not denying that there have been times in history, in, in American history particularly, 18th, 19th centuries, early 20th to some extent, um, where uh, working conditions were rough and, uh, and, and very, very hard. And I can understand how bargaining unions came into being. I totally get that. But where we are now, you also have to recognize that like everything else that has a plus side, there's also a downside. And what unions are able to do is to force organizations to pay more than the actual economic value of the employee. Right? You think about it. And if, if you're a small entrepreneur, if you've ever had to hire somebody, you know what happens. You know that the, the graph of uh, economic success of your enterprise, as soon as you hire somebody, it takes a hit, it goes down, because you're now paying another salary, and that person hasn't yet 
got up to speed and, and begun to develop their full abilities and their full skills, and eventually it, it, it starts climbing again, but initially it does go down. And so everybody has uh, a contribution they make. And so uh, when a union, particularly a public sector union, compels a town to pay far more to its garbage picker uh, collectors and its police and to its uh, uh, everybody, well, they end up, the, this, the, the town manager says, well, you know what, the bill will come due on the next person's watch, so I'm not, you know, why do I have to fight this union and be the bad guy in town? I'll give in. And so sure enough, uh, public sector uh, salaries and benefits are, are way, typically on average around the United States, way higher than private sector and uh, brought about by unions. Now, in private sector, unions have also done things. And so when you speak about companies that have outsourced manufacturing, um, the reason is very simple, and that is their labor costs are high, are more than they're worth. You can't manufacture on that basis. Nobody can. You'd have to be some kind of a magician. But a normal, mortal human being cannot operate like that. And so, yeah, manufacturing did leave the United States of America. Um, who's the villain in that piece? Primarily unions. In other words, um, interference with the free market. And so, really, for economic affluence, for a, a, a society's economy to really succeed, the first thing you need is as close as possible to a free market. And the second thing you need is a shared moral vision. What do I mean by that? Well, reducing that to just two basics, marriage and family and integrity. If those things are part of the value system of that society and it has a free market system, it's going to climb. And that is the story of the United States until about 1962. You know already I say 1962, but uh, you can't put a date or a month or even necessarily a year on a society's decline. There are reasons that that is a convenient date, but it's, it's close enough. It's within that period of time. And uh, what the difference between then and now is that up till then, uh, the population of the United States was growing indigenously. In other words, not through immigration, but people having children. It was growing naturally and organically. The second thing that was happening then was you had a manageable number of people on welfare. People on welfare, usually for a limited period of time, short time. But the idea that there was an entire welfare class of people, that there was an entire population in the country that had been living multi-generationally on the sweat of other people's brows, that didn't exist before 1962, but it did exist afterwards. Um, exploiting of the emergency room of a hospital. You know, it's not paying your way medically. And by the way, medical insurance and the whole medical industry, again, not free market at all. Tremendous amount of government interference there as well. Uh, originally in the hope of winning votes because um, left-leaning governments like saying to you, we'll take care of you from the cradle to the grave. And medicine, of course, is part of that and will educate your children and will give you money when you're told to work. Governments like doing that as a deal. You'll get all of that in exchange for your votes. 
and most people in the population, most uh, people who are docile and sheep-like, eagerly effect that exchange without thinking for even a moment what is really going on here. And, um, and so um, the, uh, the, the idea of integrity, uh, that you keep your word, that you show up for work on time, uh, that you don't want stuff for free. All of those things was part of the culture. It was part of a commonly agreed upon moral system. We all knew what it meant. Today, <clears throat> that is all gone from the United States of America. Another thing that happened uh, until then was marriage and family. Look, I've discussed in the past that for a functioning economy, you have to have a pyramid population structure. Each generation has to be larger than the one before. That is how it works. There is no way to bypass that simple reality. And if you ever wondered uh, why it is that uh, the German um, government or the French government or for that matter, the Swedish government brought in huge numbers of young men from the Middle East and North Africa. You must have thought to yourself, are they crazy? Do I know stuff they don't know? No, you just didn't pay attention to the fact that they were aware of their own demographic decline. And their assumption was that one body is much like the other. That is part of a Marxist materialistic outlook. This body is the same as that body. And... Uh, what I say is that's not true. This body that is influenced by a soul and by a spiritual outlook is very different from that body which is driven primarily by its own appetites. From the outside you might look at these two bodies and say they're interchangeable. The reality is they're not at all interchangeable. Uh, what your body does is very much a function of the spiritual schematic that shapes who you really are. And so it is when you're looking at millions of people in the population of a country, if you've got millions of people shaped by a spiritual schematic that says, yes, I do build a stable marriage and I do raise the next generation and I raise them to be upright and top-rate citizens, uh, that's one kind of place. Another kind of place says, no, you know what, I do what I like. I'm, I'm a free person. I can make my own choices, and I choose not to get married, and I choose not to have children. Well, you're seeing that happening in the United States uh, largely right now as well. So these are uh, the two important areas, integrity and marriage and family. If a society has integrity, it's made up of people with a vision of moral integrity, and um, it also has um, marriage and family visions and, and, uh, and uh, patterns, and it has a free market, there's no stopping that society. No stopping it. What's the second kind? Second kind is also a free market. Don't for a moment give any thought to socialism as the Soviet Union practiced it. That was a non-starter. Uh, it never was a success, and uh, finally it, it founded and failed after about 70 years. So, so don't dream about that. Free market is a prerequisite, and um, uh, the free market with limited, extremely limited 
restraints and controls because the free market largely tends to control itself, not 100%, and that's why there is room for government, but the extent to which the free market is um, influenced, shaped, sculpted, pressured in the United States is way more than it used to uh, be a hundred years ago, and the results are not all good. So, what is the second kind? I've described the old American model. Um, how about the second kind? The second kind is the Chinese model. Now, the Chinese model is, again, believe it or not, it's largely a free market with a degree of government interference. But here's the point, my friends. Each of you happy warriors, please hear me on this. I am not at all sure that the government interference with the free market in China is any worse than the government interference with the free market in the United States of America. I think that if you actually scrutinize the two free market aspects of China and the United States, I think you will find that the um, government uh, pressures on the free market are about the same in both countries. But I, you say, China lacks, China doesn't have the moral framework you're talking about of integrity and marriage. Well, here's the thing. You see, that moral framework can come about organically just through the, the native beliefs and views of the majority of the citizens, as used to be the case in America as, an, as a Judeo-Christian country. That's how it used to be. But there's another way of doing it, and that is through government control. That also works. You follow what I'm saying? You know, China has social credit systems. In other words, how you behave, how you drive, what you do, all of these things total up a government tally of your social credit. And if you score high, you get certain benefits living in this society. If you score low, you have certain penalties associated with it. But what are these uh, government-imposed uh, values? Remember I said you got to have, for a successful economy, there's two things you've got you to have. Free market and um, a mutually and commonly held moral vision impacting integrity and marriage and family. Well, in America, we saw how that used to be the case up until about the early 1960s. In, a, in China, it is the case right now. Yes, um, there are governmental rules on marriage and family. There are. They even tried the, the dreadfully mistaken policy of one child um, for many, many years. They're paying the price for that now. There's no question about it. There are huge problems. But the government definitely sees itself in the role. When I say the government, it's the Communist Party. It clearly sees itself in the role of um, taking care of people's family life as well. It interferes in that area and it expects people to, to do certain things. And so the, um, the measure of people who are uh, deliberately childless in China as a proportion much lower than in the United States of America. Because in China, most people recognize that it is the right thing to do to get married and raise the next generation. 
you, for, for a viable economy, you've got to have the majority of people thinking that, either because their religion and faith leads them in that direction, or because the government under which they live compels them in that direction. It doesn't actually matter. Now, I'm not saying that uh, it's equally pleasurable to live under one as the other. That may not be the case, obviously. But in terms of the success of an economy, and you see where I'm going with this, you will hear people saying often, oh, the Chinese economy is in for a rough landing. Oh, it's going to plummet. Don't you just wait. It's going to come all tumbling down. And everybody's eagerly and breathlessly waiting to see, oh, goody, we'll be able to announce that the Chinese economy is collapsing. The problem is it isn't. And uh, the reason it isn't is because it has as much of a free market as we do and it has a government-imposed system of, uh, of values. And so a far greater proportion of Chinese subscribe to the values that underpin their society and their economy than in America. In America, we can't arrive at any kind of a consensus. At, at its most basic and broadest, there's about a 50-50 split between two incompatible and opposing ways on how people ought to live. You know, and, and we see that in election after election right now. Um, the, uh, so the problem is that right now in America, what you have is no shared value system. Today in America, the value system is pretty much everyone is, should just do as they wish. And, um, and then you've got the struggle between uh, wokeism and traditionalism. But um, in America, you have now a declining free market and a declining common vision. That's not good for a, a country's economy. And that helps to explain what is happening. Uh, the problem of inflation, as I've discussed on the show many times in the past, the problem of inflation is essentially a, an abolition of integrity. Uh, it is a government that doesn't care about morality or honesty or integrity, and inflation is the result. Inflation is what happens when you enjoy too much spending other people's money. That's it. And so in, in terms of trying to weigh up and decide about China, um, I do believe that uh, it's worthwhile noting that, um, that the, the notion that, oh, China is going to, China is going to implode financially. It's just watch and see. No economy can exist with that degree of interference. You got it wrong. The interference is mostly on the moral vision side. The interference on their free market exists, but it's no more than the American government's interference with America's free market. So if you like, you could look at it as an equal thing. How's America's free market? Eh, I'll give it about a, uh, uh, a, uh, a 6 out of 10. And how about China's free market? About the same. So equivalent. But now let's look at the second thing you need for a successful economy. You need people to share a vision. People have to be, have some idea of where this is all leading. America's score on that, unfortunately, very low at the moment. China's score, much higher. And so 
uh, I think it's for that reason. My own personal view is that it is a uh, a wise thing to look to diversify outside the United States of America, and um, as I say, there are companies, um, they're fast food conglomerates that have growing Chinese sections. Yeah, that's something I think I'm going to take a good look at. Um, there are other areas, other companies um, that are that have a very active Chinese involvement. That a large part of their revenue is coming from China. Um, I, I think that's worth looking at in general. I, I really do think it is. And so, um, uh, and and so on this show, what I wanted to to do was to explain that although you're going to hear people saying all that, oh, China's heading for a fall, their economy is going to drop. Oh, look, their their real estate sector is falling apart. Not so quickly. I know it's what everybody wants to see. I don't think it's happening. I just don't see that happening at all. Now, back to the Queen. Uh, you know what the role of the Queen was in England? And, 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 and this has been the case for a long, long time. Um, helping to preserve and maintain the idea of a common moral vision in the United Kingdom. That's something the Queen has done. Um, marriage and family. Notice that she became the queen at a very young age and she she continued in her role as wife and mother and the British loved her for that and um, King Charles uh, made something of a mess of his own private family life to say the least but um, the heir to the throne his son Prince William you'll notice Again, the British will love that because, again, very much a family, and that, and you've got to understand that if if you haven't ever lived in England and you've never sort of had a sense of the influence of the of the monarchy, it really does happen in England. Um, I'll I'll just give you a, a little Lappin family anecdote. Many years ago, my paternal grandfather. Um, was making his living by uh, raising ostriches. You know why? Because women's fashions used ostrich feathers. You remember all those plumed hats and dresses and things? Ostrich feathers was the thing. And uh, <clears throat> for a period of time, my paternal grandfather made a decent living raising ostriches. Um, one of the things I inherited from him was a, um, a gold an ostrich leather cigarette case. You remember those things? People used to, people who smoked a lot, uh, used to have smart cigarette cases and Grandpa Lappin actually had one of those made out of ostrich skin. And so he raised ostriches. Anyways, all of a sudden fashions changed as they did and um, and people, you know, women stopped wearing ostrich feathers and uh, hard times hit. So you know what they did? And my grandfather and some of his friends um, set up a delegation to go to London from South Africa and to speak to the Queen at that time. Um, it, would have, it was actually Queen Victoria at the time. And, um, and to ask her to, you know, they took a whole lot of beautiful ostrich feathers. They asked her to wear some ostrich feathers to help the ostrich farmers in her um, colony of South Africa. 
and sure enough the good queen did exactly that and wow ostrich feathers just took off again it just gives you a little bit of an idea what the queen does people notice and they emulate and so perhaps something that you will not have heard from anyone else the role of queen elizabeth ii maintaining the values that held together england primarily integrity and family those those two and the queen has always stood for exactly those qualities and um, and before her king george the sixth did and uh, and before him uh, king george the fifth did and queen victoria did uh, this has always been a part of the british monarchy certainly in recent times and and so if if you've ever wondered uh, if you've ever wondered why it is that um, a small little island in the North Atlantic, man, you know, you know how big. I mean, look on a map. England is small. This little island came to rule a large part of the world, and by the way, left almost everywhere they were better off than when they came. And that's true for India, it was true for Australia and New Zealand, it was true for Rhodesia and true for all of Southern Africa, it was true for Ghana. Uh, yes, uh, and I know that uh, many foolish people are um, speaking evil of the Queen because England was a colonial power. Yeah, as a matter of fact, in a lot of the countries that England used to run, I'll tell you something, people are real, real human beings are nostalgic. For the days when England used to run things, it's true. Uh, I've, I mean, I've I've heard comments throughout Africa from people that um, back then the railways ran, back then you could get medicine at the hospital, uh, the corruption level was very low. Yeah, it, England. Now, how did a small nation like England become so incredibly dominant? And the answer is uh, because of integrity and family values. The uh, power of the economy and therefore of the country grew and grew. And you cannot underestimate, you cannot overestimate, I'm sorry, the influence of the monarchy in maintaining those values. That's really what we're, it's a huge challenge, by the way. And uh, when you're raising your own family, these are some of the values you have to impart uh, because it provides success and longevity. Um, it's an interesting thing that uh, right now we have a beautiful product that I really want to encourage you very much along these lines. Um, it's called uh, The Gathering Storm and um, it's about Noah and the flood but it's in the context of what we are supposed supposed to learn, pardon me, this is not a history book. This is not a story of what happened thousands of years ago when there was a huge flood. No, that is an almost mathematical blueprint, you follow, of what is happening today. And so we go and take a look at that blueprint and we extract the fundamental principles and we apply them to what's going on today. That's what this uh, program called The Gathering Storm on my website um, tells you about and shows you what to do. So uh, to give you an example, chapter 6 of Genesis starts off with this baffling thing, which is that, um, hi, uh, guess what? Daughters were born. People had daughters. I mean, just 
on a basic reading level, you only have to go back three verses and to see somebody gave birth to sons and daughters. Go back another four verses, somebody gave birth to sons and daughters. Somebody else gave birth to... Hey, giving birth to sons and daughters was perfectly normal. What does it mean when it tells us that there were daughters born? Verse 1 of chapter 6. You should have a look, by the way, and if you don't have a Bible, please just go to my website and buy Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. I, I really don't think you can be a, a successful and educated person who gets how the world really works without having a Bible. This has nothing to do, by the way, I'm not speaking about, do you believe in God? Do you believe? I'm not talking about that right now. I'm just talking about having a book that has been the most influential book in the most successful civilization you've seen on earth. Um, Britain, the Queen, she spoke of religion and the Bible all the time. She was actually, by, by statute, she was the head of the Church of England. And um, it is through England that Protestant faith was spread around the world, throughout Africa, uh, to North America. England did these things because of the Bible. So um, please make sure, I mean, everybody, I, I can't, I mean, I'm laughing because it's so absurd to think that somebody wants to know how the world really works and doesn't have a Bible. you got to. So anyways, chapter 6 in Genesis, chapter 6, verse 1, it's, it's really baffling. Um, because, like, really? They had daughters? Wow, who'd have thought? But then you go to chapter 6, verse 2, very next verse, and it's talking about the sons of the lords, and here we've got to be careful because um, uh, there are um, very many, um, how can I put this, um, mistaken translations that start depicting this in um, supernatural terms, that these are children of gods that came down to earth and so it's actually not like that. And in my study resource called um, The Gathering Storm, I explain exactly what the sons of the lords is, and I explain what's really going on here. Essentially, um, when a society starts declining, sexuality is almost always very much a part of it. And so... Um, People sometimes ask me, you know, do you have a sense of, you know, who's going to win the midterm elections in November 22? Hey, do you know, do you have any idea who's going to be president in 2024? The answer is, I don't know any of those things, but I do know the societal trends that my happy warriors need to understand as they make day-to-day -day decisions about their families and their finances, their friendships. What's friendship got to do with it? Well, it has a lot to do with where you choose to live. And so uh, societal trends, I can tell you, uh, the area of sexual decay, whether you're talking about uh, uh, transsexualism and everything else that goes along with it, whether you're talking about... Um, further destruction of marriage, whether you're talking about more children being born to women who are not married to the fathers of those children. I can tell you all of those things are continuing and will continue past the midterm elections regardless of how that comes out. And those things will have much more bearing on your life than who wins the election.
That's, you've got to think about that. And so, unfortunately, uh, because I live in the United States of America, I can see no short-term improvement in uh, the economy in the United States of America. Again, there's a lot of inertia to, to a, a big economy like ours. So, again, nothing happens overnight. But in terms of can we expect a sudden uptick? No. Um, there's going to be increasing government interference with the free market, diminished uh, common vision, and a lot of that I explain in this uh, wonderful resource. You can, you can look at it online. It's called The Gathering Storm. And um, if you aren't sure if you're interested in it, just read the first few verses of Genesis chapter 6, and you'll see, hey, without your rabbi, I don't think that's going to make a lot of sense. But with me, not only will it make sense, but it will actually help to point you on the road ahead, the things you have to be aware of as you make decisions for your family, for your financial life, for your social life, uh, even for your physical health. All of those decisions, you need to know what's really going on around you. And in order to know that, you've got to know how the world really works. And all of that is my job to bring to you. And I sincerely hope that not only have you enjoyed this little opportunity to be together, but that it's actually enhanced your understanding of how the world really works. And if it has, then you are set to move onwards and upwards, building and growing your faith, your family, your friendships, your finances, and your physical health in the week ahead until we meet again.